In June of 1993, the police in South Windsor, Connecticut, pulled over motorists in larger numbers than usual. But not because there were many lawbreakers in the city, but for a different reason. One person stopped by a patrolman was Lori Carlson, according to the Reuters News Service, and as the policeman approached her car, she wondered what she had done wrong. To her amazement, the officer handed her a ticket that said, your driving was great, and we appreciate it. On Wednesday, June 9th of that same, the, the authorities in this Hartford suburb had begun a new program to, to give safe drivers a $2 reward for obeying the speed limit, wearing safety belts, having children in protective seats, and using turn signals. You're always nervous when you see the light, police lights come on, said Carl Lomax, another resident of South Windsor, pulled over for good, dri for good driving. It takes a second or two to adjust to the officer saying, hey, thanks a lot for obeying the law. It's the last thing you'd expect. And for those drivers back during that month and a long time ago, they received encouragement as they were doing what they needed to do in obeying the law. Well, this morning from the book of Hebrews, as we close this lengthy book, the author of Hebrews ends by giving us some encouragement. It's as if he's saying to us, be encouraged in your race of faith. Be encouraged in your race of faith. We've been talking so for, for several weeks now about this race of faith and what it's like and how it's rough and it's got some, some hard times to it, but I want you and I, and I believe that's what the author of Hebrews emphasizes here, to be encouraged in our race of faith. You say, Pastor, how can I be encouraged? What reasons do I have for encouragement? Well, let me give you three of them from this text. The first word of encouragement that I have for you is there's still work to do. Verses 18 and 19, now you say, Pastor, that's not really an encouragement. <laughs> that's more about, oh boy, here we go again. There's still work to do. We still have a race to run. And the author of Hebrews notes and request prayer for his own race. Listen to what he says, verse 18, pray for us. He, he asks that, that the petition to God on his behalf be made. And the grammar there of the word pray is to keep on praying. It's not a once and done thing for him. He's asking that God will continue to pray and make prayer, making, uh, prayer for them a, a continual habit. Now who is the word us? Here's where we get to... Yeah, as you may not remember, all the way back at the beginning when we talked about the introduction to the book of Hebrews, just who is he referring to? Is it his, himself just alone? Is he just using the inclusive we? Uh, what, what's he doing? Well, it's definitely referring to the author and maybe his traveling ministry team or just Christian leaders in general. But irregardless, he's, he's saying, regardless of, of my position or length of service, we, I need you to pray for me. It just emphasizes to me that Christian leaders need to be prayed for because they are running the same race. There's this mistaken identity within Christianity, and especially, I think we find it in our own version of Christianity, where Christian leaders are so far above everybody else that they're, they're not running the same race. Well, no, they are. It may look different than yours. It may be uh, not the same path as yours, per se, but it's still the same race. 
And so the author of Hebrews is asking prayer for him and, and for the other leaders in general as he runs the race. And that leads me to pause and ask you this morning, are you praying for your leaders of this church? And, and for other leaders in general, not just, not just in this church, but other Christian leaders in, the, in our world today. I don't think the, the terminology here limits this just to the local church. I think it, it expands it. Unfortunately, in the past few years, I think it's sad commentary on, on leader, Christian leadership. We've seen more leaders falling than thriving, haven't we? More and more have fallen into sin. More and more have, have let uh, temptations overtake their life. It's those type of people who hold positions of influence that get noticed the most. And so shouldn't we all the more be praying for them and, and be asking God, especially here in our local church and beyond, God, would you be with them? Would you, would, would you protect them? Would you help them run the race? So his own race needs to be prayed for. And he, I think it gives kind of the reason, the, the explanation of why they need to pray for him. Look at the end of verse 18. For we are confident that we have a good conscience and all things desiring to live honorably. He's saying the life of the believer must be conducted in accordance with his word or God's word. Notice he uses the word confident. It means to be convinced or sure or certain. And he talks about the conscience, the inward ability to distinguish between right and wrong. He says we are confident that we have a good conscience. So the idea there is, is that the author is saying that and along with himself and his ministry team, they have a clear conscience in regards to their lifestyle as believers. They, 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 they are convicted in their mind they're doing the right thing. They know they're on the right path. They're, they're, they're running the race. They're doing it well. But notice that phrase, in all things desiring to live honorably. Even though they have a clear conscience in this air, there is still the requirement to maintain that God-honoring lifestyle. The word desiring here means to, to will or wish for something. The word act means to conduct yourself in a certain way. We desire, we desire to act in the, in, the, in the way according to God's word. And notice how they want to do it, honorably. The word honorably means to attain expectations of personal excellence. So there's, a, there's an expectation that they have to live according to God's Word, and they want to act in that way. They want to meet that standard. Let me illustrate it this way. Using our speeding illustration that we've used before, driving the speed limit for a length of time does not give you the right to exceed it the next time. Right? You, I know some of you are snapping your fingers. You, you cannot say, if a police officer pulls you over, hey, officer, I, I drove the speed limit for six days last week. You need to give me a pass. Yeah, I, I've done it for a while. I've been consistent. I've been doing a good job. I can show you the records. Just, just you know, I, I'm good for, for at least having a day off in that regard. What's the police officer going to do? He says, no, you were speeding, and here's your ticket. That's what the author of Hebrews, in the same fashion, he's, he knows that he and his ministry team, he and the, his fellow leaders have, have endeavored to run the race with a God-honoring lifestyle, but they still need to do it. Right? It's the same thing for you and I. We, we, may, we may be uh, attaining uh, the, the 
the standard that God has for us, but there's still work to do. And for them and for us, they had work to do in their personal lives and had the expectations to meet the goal of personally living according to God's standard. And you and I need to do the same. We must never get to the point in our Christian lives, no matter where we are, that we've arrived. That we've, we've done the work, we're, we're good to coast through the rest of the way. No. He says, pray for us. Pray that we will keep working at it. Keep living honorably before others and living honorably before God. And it leads me to ask you just to pause as well, to just think it just for a second. Are you coasting? Are you still working? Do you come to the, have you come to the point in your life where you're satisfied with where you're at? Are you still working? Are you still knowing that, yeah, yeah, I've been consistent in my walk with the Lord, but I still got to keep going? I pray that you and I never get to the point where we come to in our minds and our hearts that it's okay because of what we've done in the past to stop living for God in the future. You know the Christians who think like that today? They think that because they've done so much for God and because they've, they've, they've gone to church and they've read their Bibles and they've witnessed somebody and they've done so many good things that they're, it's okay to take a break. No. It's not. So whether you're a Christian leader, whether you're just an just a ordinary layperson working a nine-to-five job and you're working in the church, there is still work to do. And notice he says that this is an urgent matter. Verse 19, But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. Here the word urge means to encourage or exhort. The grammar points to an intense urging. He used the word especially, or you could use, also use the word all the more. I say, I'm, I'm insisting on this, is another way we could say it. And then he says, that I may be restored to you the sooner. The word that shows the reason for why they should pray this. He desires to see them. He wants to see them. The word restored means to return someone to a former place or relationship. Now some would look at this passage or this verse and say that he's in prison. By the use of the word restored, I, I don't think that's quite what he's mentioning. I understand why people would look at it and see it that way. Um, just with the level of persecution at this time, you would, you would think that that may be restored to you. The sooner it refers to being released from prison, but he's, he'll, he'll talk about Timothy in verse 23 as being set free, so that really doesn't make sense. It, it is for some reason that he's been away for a while, but he has a deep desire to be reunited with them and see them again. And in the meantime, they're to pray for him that would, he would live honorably in all things according to God's word. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you committed to keep working as you run the race of faith? 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when you speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We're to be honorable in our conduct. And it doesn't matter where we're at in the race of faith. Whether we're in the beginning, the middle, or the end. 
we're still supposed to be working. There's never a day we're not supposed to take a day off. We're not supposed to coast. We're not supposed to act like God owes us a favor. We get to the end. We shouldn't come to God and say, God, I've done so much for you, and here, here's my list of requirements to keep working for you. Or God, I've done so much, I'm going to just take some time off. There are some Christians today who use their retirement as an excuse. I'm not making fun of anybody who's retired this morning. But they think that, that they've worked for God so, for so long in their working years that their retirement is their break. They get to take that time off and do what they want. Well, folks, this morning, the, the author of Hebrews in these two verses are saying, hey, pray for me. I still have work to do. I still have things to do. And that goes the same for us. Whether we're retired, whether we're still working, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, whether we've lost our spouse recently, whether we've had some sort of injury, there's still, there is no excuse for you and I to stop working. Stop being faithful. Stop running the race of faith. So will you commit this morning to keep working? Because there's still work to do. Second reason for encouragement this morning comes from verses 21 and 20 and 21, and it is simply this God's at work. God is at work. This is one of my favorite benedictions. I, I would call that the second is my second most favorite. My, my favorite one is Jude. You know, Jude. I, I love that, that benediction at the end of Jude. But this would happen to be my, most, my second favorite one. I may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice that the author of Hebrews notes that his character is peacefully powerful. It says, now may the God of peace, the word peace there recalls the Old Testament word shalom. You go to Israel today, what's the common greeting? Shalom, peace. That's what they're looking for over there. And so that, the consistent use of that word shows their desire. It conveys the idea of complete calm with no fear or uncertainty. And notice it describes God. The God of peace. Peace is who God is, and it's what He does. Yes, God, as we looked this morning in our, our, our ABF time, that God is a God of wrath, He's a God of anger, a God of judgment, but, but He's also a God of peace. He desires that you and I live peaceful lives, that we live in complete calm with no fear or uncertainty. God isn't in the business of trying to make you fear. Yes, He wants you to fear Him. Yes, He wants you to find your confidence in Him. But He's about peace, not about fear. The author of Hebrews uses the resurrection in very vivid terms, describing it and noting God's power in it. And may the God of peace who brought, the word brought means to lead or bring from a lower point to a higher point. And here it's bringing the Son of God from the dead 
to life. And only the God of peace can raise the dead through His power. And that's what He did for His Son. He brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. He's a God of peace, but also He's a God of power. Again, that's not something you hear too much today. You hear about God is love, and, and that's true. God is a healer, and that's true. But God is also powerful. And that no matter what we face in life today in our country, in our world, in our church, God is more than able to meet those circumstances. So do you you believe God is a powerful God this morning? I've said this before. Too often times we put God in a box. Right? God, God can't do this. There's no way God can do this. We put limitations on God. Well, God raised Jesus from the dead. And if God can do that, and he did, is he not able to meet my circumstances and meet me in my own limitations? And the answer is yes. We, we cannot put God in this box and say, God can only work in this way and this way, because that's, that's how I think. God's ways are higher than our ways. And our responsibility is to believe in him. And that peaceful power that he has. Notice, secondly, that the results of his power are life-changing. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Here's the results. This is where the grammar comes in a little bit. This is the results of God bringing Jesus from the dead. What are they? That Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. This title was reserved for Christ alone and one of the results of his resurrection. He is now the shepherd of those who believe in him and fulfills all those responsibilities. He's now our leader. He's our guide. He's he's Psalm 23, right? He's Psalm 23 to all those who believe in him. And through his resurrection, he has brought about the blood of the, 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 established the eternal covenant. This is, the, this is the discussion in Hebrews 7 and 8 we looked at several weeks ago, a couple months ago. Because of the resurrection, because of his death on the cross, the, we now have the new covenant. The new relationship between God and man is accomplished through the resurrection, and that was done through his power. Again, why do you and I limit God in what he can do? If he can bring Jesus from the dead and through that bring about peace between him and us and allow Christ to be our shepherd, is there not anything else he can do? I put limitations on God. I think, God, you you can't do this. You can't change that person's life. You can't bring people into this church. When I look at this passage, I'm convicted. God can. I need to trust him in that. Notice also that God enables us to do what he desires. Verse 21, make you complete in every good work to do his will. The word complete means to prepare for a purpose, create or outfit. This is where the, if you're using a King James or New King James, I'm using New King James this morning. 
I think that it could be translated a little bit better there. I, th I think the emphasis is not making you complete. I think it's on equipping you, preparing you to do every good work, to do his will. The illustration would be a coach on a team. Why does a coach run his players through drills and practice and create plays? Because he wants his players to be mentally and physically fit to play the game. Now, they've got to do it, right? They've got to go out on the court. They've got to go out on the ice. They've got to go out on the football field and play the game. But the coach has the responsibility to make sure his players are ready. And in some small way, God's our coach. He's equipping us to get into the game, to get into the spiritual warfare that we talk about at the end of the book of Ephesians, to make sure we're, we're out there with all the tools necessary to do his will. To equip you in every good work, what does that mean? It means it shows that God uses, it shows what God uses to equip his saints for the work he has to do, has them to do. It's every good thing. Every good thing that is available at God's disposal, he gives to us to do his will. God is not in the business of giving his people bad tools. Some people complain, oh well, God didn't equip me to do this, or he didn't give me the right tool for this. No, he did. You're just not using it. God, God's not in the business of giving bad things to his kids to do what he wants. He always gives us what is good to do his will. And that's the purpose. It is to do his will. It's to do what he wants accomplished. That's the word will. What he wants accomplished is what we're focused on, what, we're, what he equips us to do. And he does it through Jesus Christ. Notice this. What is well-pleasing in his sight that further defines to do His will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. His enabling is done through Jesus Christ and focuses on accomplishing what is pleasing to Him. The word pleasing there has to be acceptable. Paul mentions this, this concept in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's why we're here. It's to work for God's purposes and God's pleasure, not our own that's why God equips us. That's why God gives us the good tools as to do what is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. Again, there are too many Christians who come to church today for themselves. Well, what can I get out of it? Well, what, 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 what will benefit me by, me by showing up at this church? They've got it backwards. How can I help? This is, I mean, just be very careful how I say this. How can God use me to do his will. That should be all of our concerns this morning, right? No matter where we are at in life, no matter what we are focused on, how can God use me to do his will? He's equipped me, he's given every good thing. He's working in my life to do his will. Am I doing that? And therefore he is alone worthy of the praise and glory. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word to whom may be referring to God or Christ, it really doesn't matter. The emphasis is the same. God alone gets the glory for what he does and he will continue to receive that glory forever. So as you and I worship this morning, as we worship Lord willing moving forward, everything we do for him is for his glory. It's not for the, the praise of this church. It's not for the praise of, of me as a pastor or you as, as, as attenders and, and members. 
God gets the glory for everything, and he should. So are we giving him the glory? As we minister in the church, as we have, have kids club on Wednesdays, and, and kids' lives are changed by the gospel, as we witness to somebody, as we see the gospel at work in people's lives, are we giving him the glory? Are we giving him the honor, the worth that he is, that he deserves? Because he will get the glory one way or the other. So are you letting God work in your life to do his will? Are you letting him do his work? He's equipped you. He's, he, he, the, the author asked that God would equip them, his readers, to do every good work according to his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. God's at work. And are you letting him do his work? Again, there are many Christians today who, who are resisting the work of God in their lives. They're here for a good time. They're here for some fun. They're here to, to, to bask in salvation and all the truth of God's Word. That's great. But what are you doing with it? God didn't save us just to stand and sit in a pew. God saved us to do His will. And too many Christians, I fear today, are letting, letting their own personal agenda, their own personal priorities get in the way of doing what God wants. They're not letting God work. They're resisting it. Don't be that person. Be the person as you run the race of faith who lets God work in your life, who lets God equip you to do what He wants, whether it's something pleasant or unpleasant, whether it's something comfortable or uncomfortable. You and I as believers need to be the people who, who let God work to do His will in our lives. Last encouragement is that we are not alone in this race. We're not alone in this race. Verses 22 through 25. I appeal to you, brethren, bear with a word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now, I would have been completely satisfied with the end of verse 21, to be honest with you. That, that's, a, that's a great ending to a book. But he feels the need to, to add a few more sentences. He makes sure that he concludes his argument with his own words of encouragement. He says, I appeal or I encourage, I exhort. Same word back in verse 19, urge. So what is he urging them to do? Bear with the word of exhortation. Or the word bear is to endure. He's referring to all that he's written in the book of Hebrews. I think it's kind of funny, and I don't think he mentioned it. He intended it this way. He says, for I have written to you in a few words. Thirteen chapters of, of heavy Heavy stuff, you call that a few words? I mean, we, we find that laughable 2,000 years later. I, I don't think he meant it as laughable, but it's kind of laughable. It's like, okay, you've written to us in a few words, which tells me he could have gone longer. So be thankful he stopped there. Okay, He could have gone longer, but he didn't. But he does say, bear with it, endure it, because there's value there, Right? There's value in the book of Hebrews. We, we've seen that. We've trudged through some heavy stuff in this book. But as you've trudged with it with me, we've seen the fruit, the treasure that is in the book of Hebrews. And he, so he says, bear with it, endure it. it it's, it's hard going, I know. 
but bear with it. He desires to know the, them to know that about Timothy's release from prison and his own impending visit should everything work out. He longs to see his readers and will do everything he can to make that happen. That's, that's the encourage, another form of encouragement. Timothy's been released. I'm doing everything I can. If he comes, I'll come with him and we'll see you shortly. And then he gives some more greetings to the, from himself and to, to those who, with whom he associates. It says, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. The word, word rulers here is the same word you earlier in this chapter described those who are ruling in the church and all the saints. And you would think, well, well who does that refer to? I, I think it refers to those not directly addressed in this book. Which leads me to conclude that although the book of Hebrews was written to a specific group of people, and we're not told exactly who, it was meant to be read all over. So he's extending greetings and encouragement not just to those to whom he's written, but also those who would read the book at some point in time in the future, which includes you and me, 2,000 years later. He says those from Italy greet you. There's, there's fellow believers there who greet you, who send you encouragement and greetings. And then he ends with the most popular phrase that we find in the end of the books in the New Testament. He says, grace be with you all. Amen. If nothing else comes from his last few encouraging words, the author desires that the grace of God be with them. And that will carry them through. He could have ended with just the greetings and just said, hey, we'll see you next time. We'll see you soon. But he says, no, no, I want God's grace to be with you. Because that is what is going to carry you through the race. So no matter what happens in the race, the author wants his readers to know that there are others with them in the struggle. I think that's why he includes those greetings. Is that those from Italy greet you. They're running the same race. They're doing the same thing. Your rulers are doing the same thing. All the saints are doing the same thing. We're all in this struggle together. They send their greetings and the author himself will do anything he can to see them and encourage them in their race, even to the point of saying and encouraging with one last line, grace be with you all. Amen. It is God's grace that carries us through. And he wants them to remember that. So will you this morning remember that you are not alone in the race of faith? It may seem like it. It may seem like you're running your race and you just feel like, well, where is everybody else? Have I fallen so far behind? Have I gotten too far ahead? Am I missing the point? Well, you're not alone, right? That's partially why we have Hebrews 11, right? That's why we have the hall of faith. It is designed to point us up to see Examples of people who have gone before. But the author of Hebrews ends his chapter 13, ends his book by saying, there are people running the race now. There are people who are engaged in struggle now. And brothers and sisters, we need to encourage them as they are encouraged by us in this race. No matter where they are, whether it be here in International Falls or around the world. We have brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are going through some intense times of suffering who are running the race. 
We have brothers and sisters in Muslim-dominated countries who are being persecuted for their faith, but they are still running the race. We have people in our country who are running the race. We're not alone. And the next time you feel alone, the next time you, you think you're alone, go to these verses and realize, hey, there's others with me. And God's grace will be with us all as we finish the race. You and I are not alone. And when we feel like it, it is God's grace that tells us we're not. An ancient Chinese proverb says this, when you come to the last page, close the book. This morning, the author of Hebrews invites us to close the book on his writing with some encouragement in this race of faith. What is that encouragement? There's still work to do. You and I never should get to the point in our Christian lives where you think we can coast. We think that we can just, just pass things by. We've done enough work for God. No, there, there's still work to do. We still need to live honorably in this world according to his word. God's at work. He's equipping us. He's given us the tools, good tools, to do what pleases Him. Whether it be witnessing for Christ, whether it be worshiping together, whether it be doing any sort of ministry, God's at work, folks. God has not left us alone in this race. He's working in your life even now, and we're not alone. We have other people with us who are struggling as well, and we can come alongside them and, and be that, that pace setter as we, as we struggle along with them in the race of faith. So this week, let's use these encouragements to keep running the race of faith until we cross the finish line.